0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's
1: Tony Katz today. 52 planes. This is what China has been flying around and in Taiwanese airspace. If you think that this doesn't have connection to Afghanistan, well, I would be curious about your thinking. That China sees its opportunity to further engage control of the island of Taiwan, of the Taiwanese people, and fulfill its view of one China. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. But what other message is being sent here other than the message to Taiwan that we will dominate you by air and by sea, you will comply and have no choice. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, does work with CBS Radio as their military analyst. You've seen him all over your TV boxes and social media and, of course, joins us regularly. Major Mike Lyons on the phone. And, sir, uh, over the last two to three days, it's been more than 80 planes that China has sent Towards Taiwan, what kind of planes are we talking about here, and what kind of movements or 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 actions, aggressive or otherwise, are they taking?
2: Hey, Tony, great to be back with you. Yeah, these are J sixteen fighters, nuclear capable H six bombers. This is the entire, you know, upper echelon of the Chinese uh, air force and the fleet they have, and it's the kind of signal that gets sent to countries that they're going to start something. I mean, th- these are the kind of um, uh, aircraft that the Taiwanese government has got to respond to, uh, because if they don't, there's a potential that they're going to open up their payload doors and, and drop something on them. So it is uh, a level of aggression we haven't seen China do, but it, it, it's all fallen into place based on what they've been doing the past few years as they've built up military assets in the Spratlys and other places in the South China Sea as they look to dominate that region. And um, I think to your point, as you said, you brought up in, in, your, in your beginning, is, is it's all been accelerated now because of Afghanistan, because they know that the United States is, is probably not going to respond, and they want they want uh, the future to happen now, and they're, not, uh, they're no longer willing to wait for it.
1: First, I've always referred to it as the Spralty. I didn't realize I was saying it wrong, the Spratly Islands. There's also a tremendous amount of what China has been doing within these islands to build islands and, and, and build land uh, masses. And I had always thought that was about being able to say, see, this is Chinese territory. This is about, uh, you know, making claims to, to waterways. But this is also about being able to create airfields so they have more ways to get more planes to where they need them to be. But I want to go back to something you said, because what you said is, uh, is, is frightening. The idea of opening, uh, you know, and, uh, the doors and dropping payload. China sees itself in a place that they can engage a bombing run of places in Taiwan to get them to submit, and the world will do nothing?
2: Yeah, I, that's a great question. I'm not sure that that is the case. I'm not sure what the world would do. I, I talked to a fellow analyst over the weekend, and we were kind of, uh, you know, wargaming what, what, what that would look like if, if they did that. And we decided that, you know, where would this war take place? I mean, if, if something happened, how what would it what would our response be? Uh, would we would we, as United States as, as a defender of Taiwan, as an ally, respond to mainland China? It, it just it, we just couldn't kind of figure out where the location was, especially as a, kind of the army guy that uh, that I am, you know, I've got to have a geography. But but what they're doing is it's forcing you know economic pressure on Taiwan because they've got they've got to respond. Um, there are some that think that if the Chinese start this, that they're going to lose the century, they'll get set back forever. I, I just don't think that's the case. They've built all these uh, up on these atolls with what's called a lily pad technology or lily pad strategy that that will allow them to land planes. You know, they didn't, they didn't build condos on those islands. They built um, missile silos and 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 the, their c- capacity to, for example, knock out the USS Ronald Reagan, which is in the South China Sea right now, is, is as high as it's ever been. And I know the Navy is concerned about it. Uh, the question is whether they'll pull the trigger.
1: Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired uh, U.S. Army, a news, radio, military analyst. Uh when you talk about uh, the plane in being involved here, I believe, believe it's pronounced, it's the Shenyang uh, J-11 that was being uh, flown in, or the J-16, which is their strike aircraft that is derived from the, the J-11. Um, yeah. You're talking about something that is utilizes radar absorbent uh, paint. Uh, this is something that they are very, very uh, proud of, introduced five or six years ago into their military. There was also, uh, I can never pronounce it right, X-I-A-N, I believe it's Qian, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong. That's their twin-engine jet bomber. There were a dozen of these that made their way into Taiwanese airspace. This is more than just a show of strength.
2: Yeah, and, and the fact that they have released this out, knowing full well that you know, the United States is going to you know, get a beat on this, look at their capabilities, this is also showing off. What, 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 what do they have um, and to send that many there you know, perhaps they call it a training mission because that's, that's what I think China's got to get over the, the hump with um, what, what the United States has this is, you know, if, you, if you go down a brass tacks here the United States has got wartime experience We've, you know, the, the, the upside from a military perspective being in Afghanistan in the last 20 years is, is we're kind of not afraid to pull the trigger I, I don't think we are I hope Afghanistan hasn't psychologically disarmed us but China doesn't have any of that capability, so they've got to get some experience, and they've got to get their pilots to have that experience. So if they order their pilots to do something, that they'll actually do it. And I think, I think that's all part of this. I think that's a significant training exercise that that serves two purposes: trains their units as well as uh, intimidates the island of Taiwan.
1: So let's start talking about Taiwan and and their military capacity capability, which certainly does not match that. Of China, but they do have a capability. The question is, what is that capability from the Taiwanese?
2: Uh, mostly um, active air defense um, that, that would start on the ground. Uh, I think any. You know, given the, the amount of um, Chinese aircraft that they could put in the air, the fighters that they have, I don't think they, ha- they would have any kind of air superiority or, or any kind of air parity, let's say, from a, from a military perspective. So anything would have to come from the ground. Um, and and the, the bottom line is the standoff of the Chinese equipment, their, their capability to attack Taiwan and not be engaged by the, the, those ground um, anti-ballistic missile defense systems – is as largely is largely uh, tremendous. So I, I, you you, you kind of net it all out, and it would be no match. The Chinese would quickly gain air superiority. Um, they wouldn't be able to hold anything unless they brought in troops, and that again creates a whole other, completely different scenario.
1: So never mind how the United States may respond to this, and and we will get to that. A lot of this. ...is what they were concerned about, and you saw the deal between the United States, Great Britain, and Australia regarding nuclear submarines. This got the French infuriated. They recalled their ambassadors, and as you look at it, I would argue that clearly Joe Biden did not handle our allies properly. This was also a bit of theater from the French, because they don't like being left out of conversations. The Australians have a lot to lose. The Japanese have a lot to lose. South Korea has a lot to lose, and India is paying very close attention. So, when you are Japan, you are uh, North—sorry, South Korea—and you are Australia. You're watching this move at Taiwan. What's your move?
2: Well, I I think that um, siding with the Australians is the smart thing first and foremost because they do have um, probably the most capable military and. All we really did was pull the rug out of a French business deal because the French were going to sell the Australians. I don't know technology fifty years old. I mean diesel submarines. You know, I mean I, you kind of got to be kidding me. Uh, the nuclear capable submarine that we were that we're now sending to Australia it's just much more efficient. It's just uh, you know again a, a better platform. If you're an Australian soldier. You're the Arcelian Prime Minister. You can look the parents of any of the soldiers and sailors in that Navy and say, look, we're going to protect the force. I'm going to give you the best thing. So I think if we prioritize, um, we look at South Korea, Japan, Australia within that realm. Um, also Taiwan's close to Manila, it's close to the Philippines, but but again, we don't have the same kind of relationship with that country as we do. So if we're gonna tie it all together, we've gotta to look at those as the big three and and that's where our focus has got to be. I just think at the end of the day, Europe is not gonna play. They're not gonna participate And what's going to be, you know, a a local, regional battle where once again the U.S. might be more proxy as others might fight, but um, but China clearly is going to go for it, especially in this century.
1: So you're making uh, an argument that is very, very look down the road geopolitically. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired U.S. Army. You're making the argument that Europe can say to themselves, whatever China does with Taiwan, that's on them. And we'll deal with China ipso facto after the fact. That's, a, that's one heck of a risk to take. By the way, it has been reported that Taiwan uh, has scrambled their jets this on the fourth uh, straight day to try and keep China from getting a, a little too rough and tumble. But Uh Europe's reaction is not the only one, and certainly not the one that I think um, is most interesting, and that's the reaction of India, because India wants to certainly see itself as a world player, and they certainly have the population to rival China as a world player. They certainly have the opportunities to engage, push back, and have a closer relationship with the United States on Pakistan, uh, which which they are constantly in levels of strife and, and hate with. Where are they in this conversation, and is India prepared to start bringing itself into today's world?
2: Well, I, I think India is an important ally now, especially since we're out of Afghanistan, especially you know, given the influence Pakistan has there. So we, we've got to do a better job of aligning with India. However, again— um, India still just struggles to, to maintain the kind of you know military that poses the threat that, that allows it to carry out its foreign policy. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. It's got a billion people. We couldn't make a billion bullets. It's the only one population-wise that could match up and stack up with the Chinese, but the Chinese are so further a, a, a ahead of it. India is going to rely on its nuclear power. It's going to rely on, on that as, as a deterrent, but, but again – that the assumption is going to be this battle is going to take place at a lower level. We're not going to escalate to that point of which then India really doesn't play.
1: Now we've come to the final, we come to the United States and and I got to tell you the idea that Europe would say, ah. we're going to step back from this. It would be a very, very interesting maneuver, as as I would see it. But Europe has its own issues to contend with, uh, including other NATO nations like Turkey and questions of how much they can be trusted on a series of things. The United States has to understand that if you allow Taiwan to fall, you've already allowed Hong Kong to fall. And I and I, I understand that that happened in the Trump administration. You're saying that these are things that are just going to happen, and we have to keep our powder dry for another day. Is that a sound policy?
2: I, I think realpolitik says that's going to happen. Um, I, I don't know what—you look around Europe, who would actually get involved that can influence uh, the French talk of good game. Again, I think they're looking at what happened in Afghanistan and trying to say that they would be involved, but at the end of the day, they wouldn't. Um, England would support us as an ally, but it, uh, you know, they continue to struggle. The Germans don't even have any kind of capable military at this point to try to defend off what could be um, you know, something that happens from the Russians. The Russians put 400,000 troops on their border. We've talked about this in Ukraine. It's, that, could, that could lead to World War III as they continue to try to influence that battlefield there. So I, I, I still don't think Europe is going to play, and I, just, I still think that uh, it's going to be the United States, Australia, Japan and and South Korea that'll, that'll have to put the pressure on China to at least um, hold off on what's happening inside of Taiwan. The question is whether or not the, the Chinese will pull the trigger.
1: So now we talk pressure. You brought it up. Let's get in. When the idea of applying pressure, what does that look like? Is that economic or is that a via force? And that leads us to the part two, the idea of China paper tiger so yeah. this has been a talked about constant theory for a right. good long time that the truth is for all the bluster of china one punch to the nose and they fall down so what yep. is the pressure and is china a paper tiger
2: yeah great point it's 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 literally back to the future again you know going back to the late 1800s of gunboat diplomacy um, in that, uh, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt speaks softly but carry a big stick. Um, the question is, the Chinese though have this missile technology. They, they saw what happened in Desert Storm, and they vowed not to let that happen to them. So they're going to go after our carriers. They're going to go sink a carrier. What are we going to do when they sink uh, again the USS Ronald Reagan? Five thousand sailors are in peril. What? How would we react to that? I you know, we're gaming that again over the weekend with an analyst. We. We didn't know what exactly our response to it would be. I, I think, um, the, you know, we would, we would strike back, and the question is, this is why I believe China is doing what it's doing right now, trying to get some of its pilots to have the gumption in order to, to try to strike and reach that punch so they decide that they're going to launch actually something.
1: We should also note that the USS Carl Vinson is also uh, in the area they were engaged in. In those war games, I believe the Carl Vinson is still there, which is a, a carrier carrier. Um, I got to assume anything regarding the USS Ronald Reagan would be an act of war, a go to Congress act of war, at least right. in normal times with a normal president and a normal Congress. These are not normal times. Uh, Major Mike Lyons, retired U.S. Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, news, radio, military analyst, CBS News and others. And we appreciate him having him appreciate having him here. Much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. million. That's very, very impressive. The question, of course, is what is this $90 million representing? It's been a long time. It's time to play Name That Number. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Here's how we play. I give producer Ari Castle. A number. I give him a number. He tells us what that number represents. I give him the number. He tells us what that number represents. Ari Castle. And the number is $90.1 million. Ari Castle, what is that number?
3: That number. We haven't played this game in a while, so I'm I'm off my game. $90.1 million. That is the price of the most expensive home in Beverly Hills.
1: That is a good one, but no, that would be way, way more. Way more than $90.1 million. Don't be ridiculous. We'll try one more time. $90.1 million is the point. The point is $90.1 million. Producer sorry. what is that number?
3: That is Jeff Bezos' fast food budget for the month. That's also a good guess.
1: No, that is the amount of money the movie Venom brought in in its opening weekend. I knew that. And let me tell you, the movie people are happy are very, very happy. From Tom Rothman, Chairman and Chief Executive of Sony Pictures, with apologies to Mr. Twain, the death of movies has been greatly exaggerated. Fun quote. Good, good, good job. There there are very few things. There is nothing under under the sun that Mark Twain didn't have a thought about and even fewer things that he wasn't right about. That's That's me, by the way, talking about Mark Twain. That's good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing it because I liked the original Venom i enjoyed it and so i'm looking forward to venom let there be carnage which is a crappy name that's a terrible name for a movie so is it that it's the superhero movies and people will do anything for them or was i wrong because i figured you've got netflix you've got amazon you've got hulu you got this that and the other why would you even worry or bother you stay at home. You got the 90-inch television. You're all good to go. Why would anybody go back to movie theaters post-COVID? Well, I was wrong. People going back to movie theaters post-COVID. But will it be just these kinds of films? That's the question. Does it have to be a superhero movie to get people to show up? Will other movies actually drive people to the theaters? So I'm, I'm happy for the theaters. But I think I take a little bit of a little bit of caution. Just let's see how it flows. But well, this is a pretty big open. Indeed. Australia, they're not open. Australia's insane. We've got that story coming up. Keep it here, I'm Tony Katz. show kind of mood because i have these these stories that i want to share with you this 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 one two three of just madness but they're 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 madness in in very, very different ways. What happens when an entire nation gives up? What happens when a person is clearly not in control of their own faculties? And what happens when a person believes themselves to be appointed and anointed by God? And how these things affect us. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it is so good to be with you. I figured we might as well play the game. We're playing games. Let's play all the games.
0: And now it's time for everybody's newest game show. What's more pathetic? It's a show where we take more than one pathetic thing, compare them, and you decide what's more pathetic. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's your host, Mr. Tony Katz.
1: Thank you. Thank you, everybody. My gosh, we have got a full show for you on what's more pathetic. Three stories, three bits of audio you have to hear. You will get the chance to then tell us which one is more pathetic. Let us start in Australia, where, of course, they've decided freedom. That don't mean nothing. There's a pandemic after all. And this is the premiere of Victoria. Right, they've got their 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 certain areas, their their certain places. Um and this commentary is just absolutely positively remarkable. You have the premier of Victoria, I believe his name is Daniel Andrews, saying that look, you get vaccinated or you don't work.
2: So first of all, uh, I can announce that by Friday the 15th of October every single authorised worker that is on that authorised worker list, whether they be in Melbourne or in regional Victoria, will need to have had at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. That is, if they want to continue working. If there's people that don't want this mandatory vaccine, how do we manage this? Well, Well, then they won't be going to work. It's very, very simple. It's very simple. We want to open the place up. I'm not taking lectures on freedom from people who will hold all of us back. Right? We want to be free. We're going to be free. We're going to be open. And the key to that is getting these vaccination numbers up and up and up.
1: You don't get to work if you're not vaccinated. That's the take of Victoria in Australia. that is hard to compete with. I mean, really hard to compete with. That level of hate and vitriol for your fellow man and for your fellow countrymen there in this, the, the, the fear of COVID. But what about contender number two? Contender number two is our very own Dr. Anthony Fauci. Who isn't so sure when talking to Face the Nation on CBS if we're going to be able to have Christmas. Who knows if that's even possible? But we can gather for Christmas
3: or it's just too soon to tell.
2: You know, Margaret, we, it's just
1: too soon to tell. We've yeah. just got to concentrating on continuing to get those numbers down and not yeah. try to jump ahead by weeks or months and say what well, we're going to do at a particular time. Let's focus like a laser on continuing to get those those cases down. And we can do it by people getting vaccinated and also in the situation where boosters are appropriate to get people boosted because we know that they can help greatly in diminishing infection and diminishing diminishing advanced disease the kinds of data that yes the vaccine can help diminish the advanced disease in terms of the severity of the symptoms but it doesn't necessarily stop cases that's it, it can lower symptoms but if you get covid you get covid it, and you're either asymptomatic or you're not or the symptoms severe or less severe because of the vaccine that's the question what is he does he even know what he's saying we don't know if we're going to be able to have Christmas? That's a special, special kind of ignorant. Now, on most days, these two would be enough. And then we would open the phone lines 833 got Tony, 833 468 8669. You could reach out on Twitter at Tony Katz. You could do Tony at TonyKatz.com. And we would tell you which one is more pathetic, but no. We have got a third entry in the mix. This is Keith Olbermann, who Keith Olbermann, formerly from from from, from ESPN, formerly from MSNBC, used to yell at everybody a lot about politics. He put the biscuit in the basket. Right, Keith Olbermann. He decided he was going to go from doing news to doing sports uh, to then reporting from his basement. And now he reports from a balcony overlooking Central Park and lectures to us. Now, I believe this is edited, Producer Ari. This was supposed to be edited. However, however, because we have to make sure these things, Producer Ari, finger on the dump button. Keith Olbermann talking about vaccines and vaccine mandates and the people who don't get their vaccine. He just got his booster shot. The
0: ones who won't get the shot already. And our first step, you and I, is symbols, the language we use. We call these people vaccine hesitant, vaccine skeptics anti-vax we say they're protesting mandates and passports they're making a personal choice they're waiting for more information they're making a medical decision Both, Bull- they're afraid they're afraid to get vaccinated stop feeding their egos about what they're doing stop legitimizing it vaccine hesitant they're afraid vaccine skeptics they're afraid anti-vax they're afraid They're protesting mandates and passports. They're afraid. They're making a personal choice. They're afraid. They're waiting for more information. Afraid. They're making a medical decision to be afraid. The snowflakes
1: are afraid. Now, there's more to this. But I got to tell you, when I first saw this video, I saw this I looked at it, and I tweeted out, as you know, I'm not always active on on, on Twitter, but I, I simply tweeted out that somewhere, Keith Olbermann has a friend, and that friend needs to stop what they're doing, pick up the phone, call Keith, and ask him if he's okay. This isn't unhinged. This is a call for help afraid of the vaccine afraid of being proved wrong
0: afraid of doing what anybody else in the world tells them to do afraid of needles so no more pleasant euphemisms about what's going on here apart from the people who have legitimate medical complications about vaccines we have to stop coddling the morons who will not get the shot we start by calling them what they are. They are all snowflakes and cowards and idiots and losers. And most importantly, they are
1: afraid. That's not a healthy guy, guys. That is a call for help, the likes of which I have not seen in a good long time. And somewhere, somewhere, Keith Olbermann has a friend. Keith Olbermann has a friend who needs to help him. And I am actually so concerned about a guy I despise, I can't even put him in the competition. I just had to share it with you because it's, it's absolutely nuts. And that brings us to our two competitors. Playing what's more pathetic is Dr. Anthony Fauci saying he's not so sure we can have Christmas because of COVID. And the premier of Victoria, Australia, saying that if you don't have a vaccine... You can't go to jobs. You can't have work. You're not allowed to go to work. And he won't have those people lecture to him about freedom. Which one is more pathetic? Keith Oldman is just a cry for help. So we're putting it out of there. The phone number 833 got Tony 833 468 8669. Twitter at Tony Katz. Tony at TonyKatz.com. We go now to producer Ari, who always gets the first vote in what's more pathetic. Producer Ari. Have you decided which one is more pathetic?
3: Well, I mean, if Olbermann's off the table,
1: then... Wait, would you would you have put Olbermann as, as more pathetic?
3: Oh, I, that would have been the easiest decision I've ever made. Yes, right. of course. And you'd be right,
1: but that, you,
3: that guy's not okay, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not there with you on that take. I think he's just really, really desperate for attention.
1: So let's say you're right.
3: This... This
1: is more than just notice me. That's, that's out of your head. What, uh, so I, I, I tell you a true story. The, the guy has got 9 million lives. This is, this is uh, my own witnessing, my own eyes about Glenn Beck. I don't talk smack about other radio hosts. I, I don't. Glenn Beck has an, had an absolutely amazing career. And Glenn Beck, for a few years there, what he did at CNN and then what he was doing at Fox News... Was quite literally theater. Not that he was making it up. Just in its presentation, it was amazing. It was amazing stuff. But when this twenty when twenty sixteen happened, uh, uh, Glenn was saying things like, um, it, it, "It is our job to vote for Ted Cruz. God wants us to vote for Ted Cruz." And there was a moment where Glenn Beck was speaking in. In, uh, in Iowa at the caucuses and he's trying to rally people and Trump walked in the door and every person who was watching Glenn Beck who's still a star turned their back and went over to see Trump. Literally he went from speaking to a crowd of a couple hundred people remember the caucuses they happen in small areas to talking to nobody. Follow that up with myself at CPAC the Conservative Political Action Conference. And there, if you had been there a few years earlier, Glenn Beck had security and and hundreds of people trying to talk to him and get his autograph. And there he was in front of my table, I didn't do the interview, waiting on somebody with no one around him. unbelievable. I have seen people rise and people fall and people work their way back. Keith Alderman is on a different level of having fallen. You went from $7 million a year to being on MSNBC to ruining yourself with ESPN to broadcasting from a basement to now being on the balcony of your apartment overlooking Central Park. You're four seconds away from being on a street corner banging on a plastic jug telling me you're a drummer. This is what it is to fall down. Holy cow. So no, Producer Ari, this is more than just attention. That's my take. This is more. uh, Beck, uh, willing to accept the fact that Trump was right, might have been a call for attention. And he actually did some very, very good work in trying to get planes out to Afghanistan to get people uh, back to the U.S. Very impressive, and all the respect in the world for him. For for Olbermann, this is different. As for whether it's the premier of Australia saying you can't work if you're not vaccinated, or Dr. Fauci saying you can't have Christmas, we're not so sure if we can have Christmas, which one is more pathetic? We'll answer that question in just a bit. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So what is more pathetic? Australia continuing these lockdowns that have gotten the people to fight back and the premier of Victoria saying if you don't have a vaccine, you can't can't work, you can't have a job. Or is it Anthony Fauci, the Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying, oh, I don't know if we're going to have Christmas. It's too early to tell because of COVID. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. We've been playing the game, what's more pathetic? And we were going to ask producer Ari. Which one it is, so I wanted to get from you, Producer Ari, which one is more pathetic? Between the two, the premiere of Victoria, Australia, saying, oh, you know, don't get vaccinated, you can't work,
3: or Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, I'm not so sure. It's too early to tell if we can celebrate Christmas. I will tell you on the surface, I originally thought they were in a dead heat, but there was one thing that put it over the edge for me. You don't talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving. Congratulations, Dr. Fauci. You are the most pathetic. In this case,
1: uh, uh, Ari Castle is correct. Producer Ari is correct. Dr. Fauci is more pathetic uh, because uh, everyone's celebrating Christmas. They celebrated Christmas last year. What are we talking crazy for? What are we talking nuts? By the way, he said this on Face the Nation, did Dr. Fauci yesterday. Today, he puts out the statement uh, which got captured by Kate Sullivan, who a uh, CNN White House reporter, and that statement is, Dr. Fauci says, quote, I will be spending Christmas with my family. I encourage people, particularly the vaccinated people who are protected, to have a good, normal Christmas with your family. Isn't that just absolutely wonderful? He is absolutely pathetic. Ew, David. He is. And this whole Nat Geo special with Disney Plus, they're doing a, uh, a documentary about him. Stop trying to sell him. He isn't good. He isn't decent. He really loves the camera, and he doesn't mind screwing with you.
3: Are you, you, know, you we saying go back- uh, stop trying to make Fauci happen?
1: Oh, it's like fetch. Don't, stop trying to make Fauci happen. This interview that Hugh Hewitt did the other day, don't you realize you're the impediment? He doesn't see it. Of course he doesn't see it, but he is it. We see it, and we should not think that we are somehow crazy. We got this. We understand it. I want to break down a little bit more of what happened with this infrastructure bill. We'll leave Biden's insanity of today's press conference out of it. I'll dig into more of that tomorrow. You got to understand where it's at, how bad this Democratic Party is fractured, and it is. I'm not saying it always will be but it is right now and for the foreseeable future.
2: This is Tony Katz today.